made sure that our shoes match our socks, match our pants, match our jacket, matches our tie. Ladies, I don't know what you guys wear. It looks good. I don't understand how it all works, how it all breaks down. You ask me if this looks good, I honestly have no idea. If you said, is this good for a Sunday night or is this more of a Sunday morning? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Or does this hairdo look, I, I don't know. Guys, we do the same hairdo every time. Ladies, like, what do you think about this? I don't know. I really don't know. It looks good. I don't know. You just got to be careful. But we come to church, and we look good. And we've heard it mentioned before, but sometimes to visitors, this can be an intimidating thing. Remember when I first came to church, I looked around and I thought, wow, this church is very nice. And the people dress very nice. And people walked very nice and talked very nice. And there was a, a very, very elegant perception of the people that I saw. But behind all of this that we see, there are people that have been through some hurts. There's people that have been through some dark valleys. There's people that have walked down some very desolate pathways. There's people that have come out of many things. There's people that have been overlooked. There's people that have been rejected. There's people that weren't appreciated. There's people who never got an apology. There's people that were hurt and nobody ever took the time to make things right. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 10. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are all thy children here? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. As we read over this familiar story, we're reminded once again of the time that a prophet went looking for a new king. The father of the household brought forth his most promising sons. He brought forth those that had all the potential in his eyes. He brought forth those that had the strength to do great things in his eyes. He brought forth those that he thought were qualified for the anointing and for the calling to lead God's people. Yet out in the field was the youngest son named David. No one ever thought of David when the time came to be anointed. His father, as we read, never even once mentioned his name. He wasn't invited to the ceremony. He wasn't invited to the sacrifice. Even just to sit and to observe. Even just to sit and to celebrate. Even just to sit and watch one of my brothers is going to be anointed. This is awesome. Nobody even thought of him to be included in that moment. In fact, 
The only reason he was called that day was because there was a Samuel that was spoken to by the Lord and he insisted on seeing him. But we see all throughout the word of God that those who were most unqualified in the minds of others become the greatest and the most anointed in the Lord's house. Those who nobody thought could do anything those who nobody thought much of, those who nobody appreciated, those who nobody valued can step up and be anointed of the Lord. I feel like God does this because as he calls the most unlikely people to do his work, in all of their success, we see the fullness of God's ability and we see the fullness of God's power. May not look like much today, but today there are some people that are going to step in to callings that they never imagined. Young people that right now may just look like a shepherd boy, but the Lord looks down and he sees potential that nobody else can see. There's people that may have come into this service for the very first time, into the house of God for the very first time, but there's a God that looks down and sees a calling and sees potential and sees an anointing. You may not see it yet, but there's an anointing for you. When everything looks like it can't happen, that's when God says there's something that can happen. When everybody says that they've gone too far and their life is too much of a mess and there's nothing that can come out of that situation, there's a God that says, hold on, let me see what I can do. In the book of Luke chapter 9, we can read about Lazarus. And Lazarus died and word came to Jesus and Jesus said something very interesting. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said that Lazarus is dead and I am glad for your sakes that I am not there. And the disciples, I could only imagine, were so confused because this was a friend of Jesus. Jesus spent time in the home of Mary and Martha who were the sisters of Lazarus. And as he said, Lazarus is dead, he followed that up with, and I'm glad that I was not there. But he titled, he, he, he built that up by saying, I was glad that I was not there to the intent that you may believe in the power and the glory of God. You stepped into this place today totally unqualified. And Jesus said, I'm glad. You've stepped into this place without an answer to your medical conditions. And Jesus said, I'm glad. You stepped into this place going through the darkest season of life. And you don't know which way is up and which way is down. You don't see a way out. You don't see an answer. And Jesus, are you ready for this? Jesus said, I'm glad. You know why he said, I'm glad? Because when I step in, come on, somebody, let me get down here and preach to you. He said, because when I step in, there's nobody else that's going to get the glory. Come on. The doctor is not going to get the glory. 
the foster system doesn't get any of this glory. Come on, the psychiatrist and the social system doesn't get the glory. Come on, the government, the prison system, criminal justice, they don't get the glory. But all the glory and all the honor and all the praise belongs to Jesus. Come on, you feel like you're at the end of the rope. It's time to see the glory and the power of God. You don't see it now, David, but you're going to be a king. You don't see it now, David. You've been killing bears and you've been killing lions and you've been doing things that nobody else can see. But there's a day when everything that's happened in private, God is going to show it in the public. All the work, all the suffering, all the pain, everything you've had to go through. He said, I'm glad because Jesus is going to get the glory out of you. You may be seated. God is calling us to do great things. You don't see it within yourself, but there's a God that sees it. David was anointed in front of people that didn't even want to include him, that never thought he was qualified. And it can be a hurt to us, and it can cause pain to us, when we're disappointed by those that we love, we're hurt by people we cared about. God calls us out of many things, but the calling of God will always include people. God calls us out of rejection, God calls us out of frustrations. God calls us out of offenses. God calls us out of brokenness. But he never calls us away from people. For the rest of your life, you will be around people. Somebody said, I like the ministry. It's just the people I don't like. I like the word of God. I like to preach. But it's just those people. I don't know if I can do it. God calls us out of many things, but the calling of God will always include other people. Luke chapter 9 and 28 came to pass about an eighth day after these saying. He took Peter and James and John and went up to a mountain to pray. And it says, as Jesus prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed unto him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles. One for thee and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. In verse 37, it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. Peter found himself in a heavenly place, seeing an awesome display of the glory of God. It was so amazing. He decided in one moment that he wanted to spend the rest of his life there. We've all had these kind of moments in our lives. Moves of God that gave us new faith, a new anointing, a new calling, 
moments of healing and deliverance and prayer that have taken place in our life. We've all been changed in the presence of the Lord. But when these moments are over, when Sunday night revival is over, when peak conference is over, when Acts 238 conference is over, there will be people waiting for us as we come down from a mountaintop experience, waiting for us along with all the problems they may bring. I'm sorry, but for the rest of our lives, we will always have to deal with people. People that may hurt us. People that may abandon us. People that may lie to us. People that will do things that we don't like. People that do things that's hard for us to get over. There was a man named William Queen. William Queen was an undercover agent for the ATF agency. And he was on this mission to uncover all the dealings of the Mongols motorcycle gang. So he was just like one of them. He was fitting in as a sting operation to uncover their secrets and their, their whereabouts and their operations. And in the middle of his task as an undercover motorcycle gang member, in real life, his mother passed away on the other side of the country. He got news and he had to tell the gang, said, I'm sorry, my mom's passed away. I've got to go there and take care of some things. And he was so broken in that moment because he said he felt like he gave his life so much to work that he didn't have time for his family. And he, he focused so much on his missions and his, his, his different things he was asked to do for work that he felt like he didn't give the proper time to his mom. And he, he looked at her things and he had to pack all of her stuff in boxes and he had to clean out the garage and clean out the bedrooms. And as he went through all of this, he just thought, wow, where have I been for the last few years in my mother's life? And he was hurting and he was broken, and he went through the funeral and took a few weeks off, and then he returned back to his mission. And as he went back to the office of the ATF agency, not one person mentioned his mom. Not one person said, man, we're sorry about your loss. Not one person said, man, it's going to be okay. Not one person stepped in to encourage him or to support him. But when he put the leather jacket back on, and he put the bandana back on, and he rode his Harley back to the bar and pulled inside, there was men with tears rolling down their face and said, man, we heard about your mom, and put their arms around him and said, man, you're going to make it through this, and it's going to be okay, and man, we're here for you. Man, whatever you need, let us know. I've lost a loved one recently, and I've been through some things, and man, I understand what you're going through. And this man stood there as an undercover agent and was shaken to his core. He said he almost wanted to scream out, hey, you guys need to get out of here. We're out to get you. Because he said the people that he expected the most from were the ones that didn't have anything to say. And the people that were the criminals, the people that were the bad guys, the people that he was supposed to be investigating were the ones that surprisingly stepped in with love and affection. Tell you that story because there's going to be times when you are hurt by people that you love. And there's going to be times when 
There's people that you know that are wrong, and you know that they don't have your best interest, and you know that, that, that that's not who you should be around. But in the middle of hurt, there's a confusion, and there's a blurring of the lines, and there's a point when you don't really understand it. Why is it that the people that are supposed to love me don't have anything to say, but the people that I'm supposed to stay away from are the ones that are giving me the love and attention? There's going to be times in the house of God when you're hurt and you're broken and you're left out and you're passed up and you're offended. And the devil wants to step in with the, with the desires of the world and say, well, they don't understand you. But the people at work, they understand you. Why do people get into relationships with people at work? Because there's a closeness there. And they say, well, I'm hurting in the church, but I seem to have love and affection at my job. And they fall into sin, and they fall into affairs, and they fall into things. Why? Because you know what? They didn't realize no matter how I feel, no matter how I hurt, I've got to hold on to what's right. I've got to hold on to the truth. I've got to hold on to some conviction, to what I believe, to some holiness. I'll tell you, there's going to be some times when people hurt me, but I'm going to hold on to the things of God. Let's worship the Lord for about 15 seconds. Oh, God, there's been some hurts. There's been some pains, but I'm not walking away from you. There's been some people that have slandered, that have mishandled, that have made me something that I wasn't. But I'll tell you today, God, as Pilate said, I find no fault in him. We can get confused. People that we love and care for may hurt us. People that we expected the most from may let us down. James 3 and 8 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is un an unruly evil full of deadly poison. One of the most famous sayings in the English language says, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. This is not true. This is not true because words spoken in our life possess an immeasurable amount of power. There's people that spend the rest of their life Holding on to a conversation. Holding on to words that someone else spoke to them. Holding on to unexpected news. Holding on to an unexpected letdown. Holding on to somebody who walked out on you. And all you can remember is what they said. And those words are turning over in your mind again and again and again. We hold on to words. Words have the ability to strengthen. Yet they also have the ability to decimate. Words can be used to encourage and to support, yet they can also be used as attempts to destroy someone. We need to be careful how we use our words. People that we love and care for can hurt us. They can say things that hurt us. People who we trusted can disappoint us and fail us. Samuel grew up as a young man. Samuel, the one that anointed David in our opening introduction, Samuel grew up in the house of the Lord at Shiloh. But as he grew up, he watched people that he was called to look up to. Hophni, Phinehas, Eli, all the other priests. And he watched as behind the scenes of public ministry, behind the scenes of public service, behind the scenes of public ceremonies, they lived a life of secret sin in the shadows. They did things that he could have easily 
let become a reason to turn away and walk away from the ministry. There's people today that have been hurt by the ministry to the point that they don't want anything to do with it. There's people holding a call of God on their life that don't want anything to do with it. And it has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with the calling itself. But they've just seen failures in the lives of others. As Samuel was called later to lead himself, God called him to install a king over the people. And this king was head and shoulders above every other man. And his name was Saul. The Bible said that he was a choice young man. He was the people's choice. He was the prophet's choice. He was God's choice. He had all the potential. He had all the ability. He had all of the qualifications to be the king of the people. Yet, as Samuel was working with him and trying to encourage him to do what God wanted him to do, he was basically pastoring him, trying to help him get through this season of life. Every time he told Saul to do something, Saul would either do it differently, he wouldn't do it at all, he couldn't wait, he would take things into his own hands, and he destroyed his calling, he destroyed his ministry, he destroyed what God called him to do. And Samuel is having to go through the disappointments of working with someone who just won't listen. Working with someone who has all the potential, who has all the ability, but in the end it all falls apart. You ever worked with somebody that was coming to the Lord? You ever put time and effort and money and all kinds of things into somebody that was trying to come to the Lord? And you've seen them just turn away and walk away and decide that they didn't want to do it anymore? You ever been there? I don't know if you have or not, but that hurts. That hurts to invest yourself in someone and you can see the doors that God is opening. Samuel told Saul, if you would have obeyed, he would have established your kingdom forever. Meaning, you're going to be blessed, your children will be blessed, your next generation will be blessed all the way throughout history. Your generations will be blessed. And we try to work with people and help people. But there's going to be people that just don't want it. There's going to be people that walk away. There's going to be people that stop living for God in spite of everything we've done. And that can be such a disappointment. But I want to tell you, getting ahead of myself, but as Samuel was praying, there was a God that said, hold on. He was crying and weeping because of Saul's failure. And God told him, he said, no, 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 no. You need to get up. You need to fill your horn with oil again. You need to fill your horn with some anointing. You need to fill your horn with some power because I'm calling you to go anoint another king. Don't let one person that walks away from God convince you that there's nobody else that wants to live for God. Don't let one person that, that, that burns you and stabs you in the back and makes a big old mess out of everything you've tried to do for them. Don't let that stop you from being a soul winner. Don't be so hurt by people that you're not willing to reach for another person. Don't be so hurt by people that let you down that you say, I'll never do that again. I'll never help anybody again. You've got to love like you've never been hurt. You've got to reach like you've never been burned. Come on, you've got to do the work of God No matter what people do to you You've got to do it to the Lord And say, God, I'm doing it unto you We can get so disappointed by people Who we thought would do differently People who we depended upon May abandon us and drop us 
2 Samuel chapter 4, we read of a five-year-old little boy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was dropped out of the hands of an adult and left unable to walk for the rest of his life. Mephibosheth was affected by circumstances that completely were beyond his control, handicapped because of something that came from the hands of somebody else. Young people, your life may be a mess because of the decisions that other people have made. Your life may be messed up because of addictions and, and, and sexual relationships that other people have gotten into and the crazy lifestyles of your family. But I tell you, you can live for God in spite of where you've come from. You can live for God beyond the hurts and beyond the pains. And you don't have to carry all the things that are behind you, but you can let it go. He said, behold, he makes old things pass away and all things have become new. You can let go of the past. You can let go of the hurts. You can let go of the disappointments that came from the adults in your life because God is calling you to do something great. He's calling you to start a new legacy. He's calling you to do things that nobody else has ever done before. I want to tell you today that God is calling you despite what has happened to you. We deal with hurts, we deal with pains, we deal with disappointments, failures, abandonment. But you know what the power of the kingdom of God is? Samuel, who's been disappointed by those who he grew up around, by those who he was called to lead later. He was disappointed by the people who didn't want to live for God without a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations. He lived a life of disappointment. He goes as a disappointed prophet to a rejected young man named David. And he finds young David and anoints him with oil. And you know what happened when David became king? David looked out and he said, hold on. Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. But is there anybody left of the household of Saul? And they said, yeah, you know what? There's one young man. And he's in the place called Lodibar. And his name is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, although he was dropped, he was unable to walk. He was handicapped by the effects of others. There was a king named David that extended the scepter into his life and I'll tell you that it was the prophet who was disappointed that anointed David that was rejected and David that was rejected called forth a Mephibosheth that was broken. The kingdom of God brings broken people together for the greater good. The people of God, you look at choirs and you say, man, there's so many nice looking people. There's people in the choir that have been abused, that have been abandoned. Oh, you say, those are some nice looking ushers. Those are some ushers that were addicted, that were bound that were confused, that were lied to, that were in prison. You look at the ministry and say, oh man, look at that ministry team. There's people here that have fallen away, that have gotten back on track, that have lost it all and built it back again. There's no perfect people because God works with the broken pieces. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Worship the Lord if you're one of those broken pieces. Worship the Lord if you're one of those broken vessels. Worship the Lord if you're one of those that was rejected, that was disappointed, that was dropped, abandoned, and broken. Come on, can you lift your hands and say, I'm one of those, but he delivered me out of the hand of it all. The power of the kingdom is he gives us the ability, you may be seated, gives us the ability to overcome those things, and it comes back to us as a strength. You will connect with people that you wouldn't have been able to connect with 
if you hadn't have gone through brokenness, if you hadn't gone through hurt, if you hadn't gone through pain, there's people that you can reach. There's people that you can understand. Heard a preacher one time, told a story about him and a friend. They were sitting at a restaurant, and the waitress came up, and she was really nice, and he told his friend, he said, man, let's witness to her. Let's, let's ask her to come to church. And uh, she came back, and this preacher told her, the first preacher, he said, sister, I don't know if he would have called her sister. She was just a lady at the restaurant. But he looked at her, and he said, I've lived for God my whole life, and he's kept me from so many things, and he's been so good to me. And, and he said, I've, I was raised in a pastor's home and, and, and all these things. And, and she sat there, and she said, oh, oh okay. And, and she was interested, but there really wasn't a connection there. But then his friend spoke up and he said, and me, he said, I was delivered from alcohol. I was delivered from suicidal thoughts. I was delivered from an abusive relationship with my father. I was, I was delivered from a lot of hard things. And he said, as he said this, that this lady had a tear that began to flow down her face because she was affected to know that God works with those kind of people. People come in here and they're intimidated. They don't feel like they could ever make it. They don't see themselves lining up. They say, I just don't see myself ever being a minister. I don't see myself ever being an usher. I don't see myself ever doing anything because I'm so unworthy because of everything that has happened to me. But behind the scenes today of the suit and the tie and the skirt and the hair and the hairpin and the shoes, there are some people that God has called out of some broken situations. Brother Terry had a dream. And he told the church one night, he said in this dream that he went out in the spirit and he went into the gates of heaven and as he walked into heaven he looked around and there were no people there saw the walls of jasper saw the 12 foundations of heaven saw the mansions he saw the streets of gold but he looked up and he said where are all the people and he said a voice came to him and said brother terry this is what heaven would look like if it wasn't for second chances but I want to tell someone this morning that heaven is not going to be an empty place. But heaven is going to be a place for the saints of God who have overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. i got to tell somebody today that the accuser of the brethren is cast down. Your past is under your feet. Come on. You've got to move forward. Heaven's not going to be an empty place. But heaven's going to be a place where we sing the song of the redeemed, the song of the saved, the song of the delivered. He delivered me out of every hand of every enemy I walked through some dark roads and I suffered and I went through some hurts and I went through some pains but I overcame it all by the power of Jesus Christ Luke 4 when he had opened the book he found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Are you broken today? Are you a captive? 
Are you a hostage, hostage of past hurts, a hostage of past shames? You know, hostage situations is somebody having authority over somebody else, and usually that person is not able to speak, and they're not able to break free, and they're not able to do anything unless their captor lets them go. I don't know what's holding you back. I don't know what's holding you hostage. But when Jesus calls you forth, everything that's holding on to you has to let go. Guilt and shame and hurts and wounds and, and bitterness all has to let go today. When Jesus calls you forth, he has come to set at liberty them that are bruised. God will call us out of many things, but the calling of God will always include people. People will fail us. People will drop us and abandon us. People will say things that hurt us. But what affects us worse than anything than anybody has ever done to us is when we choose to carry the hurt within us everywhere that we go. What affects us worse than the things that people have done to us is when we choose to carry those hurts within us everywhere we go. When we refuse to get over it and move forward, we allow it to become a festering wound within our hearts. We can't control what anyone else will do, but we can control whether or not we will walk through this life carrying the weight of a wounded spirit. Somebody once wisely said, when you're out on the ocean in a boat, there's a lot of water in the ocean, millions of gallons of water, and that's okay because it doesn't matter how much water's in the ocean as long as you don't allow it to get into your boat. There's a lot of hurts, and there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of sufferings, there's a lot of abuse, there's a lot of mishandling, there's a lot of mistreatment, there's a lot of slander that people in this house have gone, had to go through. But it doesn't matter how much water's out there in the ocean, as long as we don't allow it to get inside of our boats, as long as we don't allow it to get into our heart and create a wound, a wound that will grow, a wound that will spread, a wound that will infect, a wound that will debilitate, a wound that will paralyze, a wound that will stop us in our tracks. We have to be able to move forward. Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. If we don't heal from the things that have hurt us, it's going to begin to affect people that had nothing to do with it. If we don't heal from the things that have hurt us, we will bleed on others. We will affect others. We will hurt others because hurt people hurt other people. If we don't get over the things that have happened to us and we walk through life talking about how this person hurt me and this person didn't get right with me and this person uh, let me down and this person disappointed me or this person abused me, this person did some things to me, this person did things to me that should have never happened. We go through life with all those thoughts and if we never let it go, it becomes a hindrance to us 
to our family, to our children, to our church, to our friends, to our job, to our career. Everything we do will be hampered. Everything we do will be held back. Everything we do will be affected by the toxic poison of bitterness. They say that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping that it would hurt someone else. It's hurting you more than it's hurting anyone else. Trying to prove yourself to people that have already moved on is a losing game. There was one man, he, he, he graduated from college, and when he was in college, he had a college girlfriend, and, and oh, he thought they were going to get married. And this girl broke up with him and left him, and he was so tore up about it. So when he graduated, he went on to get his job. He went, and every time he went to the car wash, and he got his brand new car washed, he would go down the street from the car wash, he would turn into her neighborhood, and he would drive by her house every time. He said, I hope one of these days that she looks out of that window and she sees what she missed out on. I hope one of these days she sees me with my big watch on the steering wheel and my nice sunglasses and I got a nice outfit on. He said, when I go wash my car, I want her to notice how shiny it is. I'm going to wash those rims. I'm going to scrub those tires. I'm going to make sure that it looks good because when I drive by her house, I'm going to prove to her the person that I became and what she missed out on. Then there was a day when one of his friends went with him and he said, hey man, i got to go get my car washed real quick. They go to the car wash. Everything's normal. Everything's regular. They're going down the street. He makes the turn of the neighborhood. And his friend, who's been a friend with him from college, said, hey man, what are you doing? Why are you going down this road? He said, well, I like to drive down this road so so-and-so can see me and see this car and see that I've got it going on and see that I've made it. I'm just proving to her what she missed out on. And his friend looked over at him and said, man, you're out of your mind. This girl moved out of town like three years ago. And you're still driving by her house? We try to prove things to people that aren't even paying attention. We try to prove ourselves to people that have already moved on. We may never get an understanding. We may never get an apology. They may never come back and make things right. We've got to move forward. We can't live our life in bitterness and let bitterness defile everything else we do. If you don't heal from what hurt you, you will bleed on others who had nothing to do with it. Ephesians 4 and 3, it came, to process, it came to pass in the process of time that Cain brought forth of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. In Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass while they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him, or killed him. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more sac excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Cain and his offering were rejected by the Lord. It's a lot of different thoughts about this, but the most important thing is that it was rejected. And there was some outward evidence that showed 
it was rejected. And after this, in the verses we read, it teaches us that Cain became wroth. The Hebrew word karah, which would mean burning with anger. God told him, he said, if you do well, you're going to be accepted. If you get right, it's all going to work out. Not only that, he said, but your brother's going to look up to you. You're going to have the rule over him. He said, He's gonna, you're going to be his desire. You're going to be his role model. There's people that are looking up to you. If you would just get over this, there's people that are going to see you get over it. And that's going to make you even bigger to them than, than if you would have just gotten mad and walked away and said that you were right. If you get over this, there's people that are going to admire you for that. But instead of getting over it, instead of improving, instead of making it right and coming back better next time, Cain instead shifted all his energy into hatred. God called him to go back out in the field and to rearrange some things and do things differently and come back with a better spirit, come back with a better attitude, come back with a better approach. But instead of making any kind of adjustment, he consumed himself with hatred and ultimately lost his way with God and he killed his brother in the process. It wasn't about his brother. It wasn't about his brother's offering. I don't even know that it really was about jealousy, but it was about a hatred and a bitterness that just couldn't get over something that happened to him. We will hurt people that had nothing to do with it if we don't get over the bitterness. He said that many shall be defiled by the root of bitterness. Our children will be mad at people, and they don't even know why. They just know that we're mad at them. People... That, that we're friends with, won't like people, and they don't even know why besides the fact that we don't like them. Our bitterness will defile many different things. If we are not on guard, we can allow toxic spirits of hatred and bitterness to grow within our hearts. We can become so wounded by the unfair moments of the past that we will never move forward in the greatest plan that God has for our future. As they come to the music today, I'm almost finished. Let's pray for a few minutes, a few seconds. God, we worship you today. Lord, I pray today that you would speak to someone's heart. Lord, that you would lift a heavy burden today. Lord, that you would heal some deep wounds today. God, that you would deal with some issues in families and in, in mothers and fathers and hurting people that are trying to recover Come on, part of recovery is letting go of the hurt. Part of recovery is letting go of the past. Part of recovery is letting wounds heal and let them close up and move forward. Come on, you can, you can die from the wounds or you can let it heal up and live with a scar. I'd rather live with a scar than die from a wound because the wound doesn't have to kill you. And the scar is a testimony that I overcame it. I know you've been hurt. I know you've been disappointed. I know that things have happened to you that weren't fair. I know that people didn't include you. I know that people didn't appreciate you. I know, David, nobody thought you were qualified. Samuel, I know that you saw some failures in the ministry that you didn't understand. Samuel, I know you were let down with people that you were trying to help. But don't let it become a root of bitterness that defiles everything around you. Mephibosheth, I know you were abandoned. I know you were broken. I know you were dropped as a child. But you cannot hold on to that for the rest of your life. 
Because when David calls you forth to sit at his table, your legs of brokenness are going to be under the table. The things that are painful and the things you can't get over. There's a God that will cover it if you'll come to the table. There's a supernatural dynamic of getting over wounds and hurts. Because there's a point where we just can't do it. You say, man, cancer. God can heal cancer. That would really be a miracle. Withered arms. If God can stretch that out straight, that would really be a miracle. Walking on water, man, what a miracle. But when we go through hurts that have damaged us to the point that we feel unworthy and we feel incapable and we walk looking over our shoulder because of words spoken against us and we're never good enough because someone else said that we weren't, I'll tell you, it may take a miracle for us to overcome that. You can't do it on your own. You can't just talk yourself out of some of those things. You can't just say, well, I'll just ignore it. You ignore it and you let a wound grow until it affects every part of your life. Lord, we trust you today. God's speaking to someone's heart. God is telling someone, I know. I know what you've had to go through. Nobody else saw it, but I did. Nobody else heard it, but I did. You think you've got to prove yourself. You think you've got to even the score. You think you've got to get revenge. You think you have to show them. You don't have to show them anything. But just show the world the scars. It says, I didn't die from that wound. If we don't overcome the hurt caused by other people, we end up giving the enemy a place of weakness that he can use to control us. My title today is Letting Go of the Nail. Pastor in the country of Haiti got up one Sunday, told the story of a certain man who wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Another man wanted to buy it very badly, but he couldn't afford to pay the full price. After much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house for half the original price, but with one stipulation. He would, return, he would retain the ownership of the house through a small nail that would hang above the door. All he had in that house was one small nail that hung above the door. Years went by and everything seemed like it was going to be okay. The nail was kind of weird, but hey, we got a good deal on the house. Until the original owner wanted his house back, and the new owner was unwilling to sell. So the first owner went out to the side of the road and found a dead animal. Got that dead animal tied up on a string, and he went into that house. And the owner, the new owner said, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just putting something on the nail. And he reaches up and hangs that string over the nail and lets the dead carcass of an animal hang from that nail. And he said, you can't do that. He said, you don't understand. This is my nail. I can do whatever I want. He said, take that down. He said, no, I won't take it down. That's my nail. He said, well, I'll take it down. It's not your nail. You can't touch it. 
And that carcass rotted, was covered with maggots and flies, bugs and rats and all kinds of insects entered into the house. He came back a few days later and hung another dead carcass on that nail. And he kept doing it again and again and again until the house became unlivable. And the family was forced to sell the house back to the owner of the nail. The Haitian's pastor, the Haitian pastor's conclusion that Sunday was this. If we give the devil space to work in our spirit, even the space as small as the head of a nail, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on us until he drives us out completely from the road that God has called us to walk down. Our hurts and our pains and our wounds become a nail that the enemy can come and hang things on. He sees a nail that says you're not good enough. He comes and hangs a spirit of lust, spirit of inadequacy, spirit that says I'm a victim. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. He comes up and he says, let me put an addiction to pornography on that nail. Let me put an alcohol addiction on that nail. Let me put hatred. Let me put bitterness. Let me put unforgiveness on that nail. Let's lift our hands all across this house. God is calling somebody today to let go of the nail. Let go of the things that have hurt you. Let go of those moments when people dropped you, abandoned you, abused you, mishandled you, mistreated you, slandered you, tore you to down, discredited you, all the things that have happened to you. If you're not careful, those become a nail. And the devil comes in. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He may not destroy you in a day. He may not tear your life apart in one night. But if he can come in and just find a nail that says, I can't forgive my father. I can't forgive my mother. I can't forgive my family. I can't forgive that minister. I can't forgive my wife. I can't forgive my husband. I can't forgive those people in my life that have hurt me. He finds that nail and he hangs dead, rotting garbage on it. As we all stand today. Proverbs 6 and 5, deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. The devil is strategic. The devil can play the waiting game. The devil can wait in the shadows like a hunter until it's the perfect time to strike. You say, I'm hurt. The devil says, here, try on this bitterness. I was overlooked. I was passed up. Here. Try on this, this attitude of gossip and slander and tearing people down and hatred. Try that on. My dad never loved me. Here. 
here's a spirit that says I'll never be good enough. Here's a spirit that says I I'll never be what anybody wants me to be. I'll never be loved. I'll never be appreciated. I was abused. Here, let me put a spirit of confusion on you so you don't even know who you are and, and what you're supposed to do and how it all lines up. And you don't even know which way is up and which way is down, which way is left and which way is right. Because the devil has hung a spirit of confusion upon the nail of abuse. Today, the word of the Lord to us is we have to let go of the nail. We have to surrender the hurts and surrender the pains to a God that understands what to do with them. In 2015, the city of Paris was attacked by a group of Islamic terrorists. They stormed into a concert and gunned down 88 people, including the wife of a man named Antoine Larisse. Only a few days after the tragedy, Antoine Larisse wrote an open letter to his wife's murderers. In the letter, he says, You took an exceptional life, the love of my life, the mother of my son, but you will not have my hatred. I don't know who you are, and I don't want to know. You are dead souls. If this God for whom you kill blindly made us in his image, every bullet in the body of my wife would have been one more wound in his heart. So no, I will not give you the gift of my hatred. You're asking for it, but responding to hatred with anger is falling victim to the same ignorance that has made you who you are. You want me to be scared. You want me to live my life with mistrust. You want me to sacrifice my freedom for fear. I'm sorry, but you have lost that battle. My wife was just as beautiful as when I hopelessly fell in love with her over 12 years ago. Of course I am devastated by this pain. I will give you this victory, but the pain will be short-lived. I know that she will be here with us every day and that we will find each other again. Now we are left with just two, my son and I, but together we are stronger than all the armies in the world. I don't have any more time to devote to you. I have to get to my son who is waking up from an afternoon nap. He is 17, or 17 months old. He will eat his meals as usual. And then we're going to go outside and play as usual. And for his whole life, this little boy will live his life happy and free. I'm sorry but you will not have his hatred either. The word of the Lord for us today is this. It's time to forgive. It's time to let go of the past. I'm forgiving all those who have hurt and abused me. I am forgiving those who won't even acknowledge that they did anything wrong. I may never get an apology. I may not understand why it all happened the way that it did. But my forgiveness is not to change them or even to change what happened to me. But rather, the purpose of my forgiveness is to set me free so I can begin to move forward. I'm letting go of the nail of hatred. I'm sorry, but you will not have my hatred. I'm letting go of the nail. I'm letting go of the nail of bitterness I'm letting go of the nails that want to hold me back from going forward in peace and joy 
in love for my family. I don't want my family to deal with nails that I refuse to remove. I don't want my son to walk in and say, Dad, what's that nail? My daughter walk in and say, Mom, what's that nail all about? And what's that dead thing that's hanging off of it? Why don't you talk to that person? Why don't you go see them anymore? Why do you turn and walk the other way at church when you see them? What's up with the nail? And what is that dead thing that's hanging on it? God set us free of the anger. God set us free of the pain. God set us free of the hurt, the hatred, the bitterness, the memories of what others have done to us. (laughs) The altar call today is this. If you don't know what to do with the nails today, there's a man named Jesus Christ who will step in with his arms outstretched and he'll say, I took the nails for you. Go ahead and give me those nails. Go ahead and let go of those nails of hurt and abandonment and brokenness and and all the things that have happened to you. I know what to do with the nails. Luke 23, 33, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, the one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. Jesus was broken. Jesus was spit upon. Jesus was bruised. Jesus was whipped to the point that his back was split open and organs were exposed and blood was flowing. And everybody that he said, or said well, they were his followers, his friends, they left him. He fed 5,000 in his moment of popularity. But in his moment of suffering, there was no one there except for John and for his mother. But Jesus looked down in all the pain that happened to him. He looked down at all the brokenness. He looked down at all the bruising. He looked down at his body and saw what they had done. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he went on to give up the ghost. And when he gave up the ghost, there was a power of resurrection. When you give the nails to Jesus, it's going to end in resurrection power. It's going to end in a day of Pentecost. It's going to end in a newness of life. It's going to end in a freedom that you never thought you could have. It's going to end in peace that you never thought you could have. Today we're dressed up. We've got our suits. We've got our shoes. We've got our hair, our skirts, everything that we have on. But I wonder behind all that if somebody can be honest today and say, God... I've been hurt by some things. I've been abused by some people. I've been broken. I've been abused. I've had my battles. I've been accused. God, but I'm stepping forward to let go of the nail and let you take some things from me. I don't want to deal with it anymore. There's some rottenness. There's some bitterness. There's some dead things that are hanging off of some nails. But today, oh God, I'm letting go of the nail. Come on, would you step forward today? The Holy Ghost wants to minister to someone's heart. Someone that dealt with years of abuse and nobody even knew about it. Somebody who has had lies spoken into your life that you'll never be good enough. 
Come on, somebody. Let's make a move as close as we can to the front today. There's healing for the wounds. And there's a God that says, I'll take the nail if you'll let it go. I'll take the pain if you'll let it go. I'll take the brokenness if you can let it go. Your husband walked out on you, but let go of the nail. You were abused. Let go of the nail. You were not appreciated. Let go of the nail. You were passed up and forgotten. Let go of the nail. You had people try to destroy you. Let go of the nail. Come on, somebody. Let's press into the presence of God today. Are you willing to let go of the nail? Are you willing to let go of the nail? somebody there's freedom in the altar there's freedom you don't have to carry that dead weight anymore you don't have to carry that bitterness anymore you don't have to carry that hurt anymore you don't have to carry that spirit anymore come on let go of the nail my brother let go of the nail my sister do it for your family do it for your future do it for your children come on let go of the nail
we can go from where we're at right now and we can find our family. Find your family, your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, your aunt, your uncle. Find our family. The reason I say this, I remember growing up, these moments were the hardest moments for me. When somebody got up and had the nerve to say, go pray with your family, and I didn't have family in the church. If you don't have family today, if you come all by yourself, I want you to come to the front. I'm going to pray with you today. If you come here by yourself, I want you to come to the front. If you don't have family in this church, I want you to come to the front. I'm going to pray with you today. The prayer for our family today is this. I'm going to protect this home from a nail that the enemy is going to hang something on. I'm going to protect this home from bitterness. I'm going to protect this home from hatred. I'm going to protect this home from all the things that have happened in my past. It's over. I'm moving forward. And I'm going to be there for my family, even though maybe others weren't there for me. Come on, there's nobody that really appreciated me, but I'm going to appreciate my daughters. I'm going to appreciate my sons. I'm going to appreciate my family. Nobody may have ever told me they loved me and they were proud of me, but with my arm around my family today, I'm going to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. You are special. You are so great. You are so awesome. You are amazing. God loves you. Come on today, somebody encourage one another and say no to the nail. Say no to the bitterness. Say no to the hatred today.
say here today that Brother Cosme is taking us on a journey and every message has been very, very impacting and part of that is directly associated with his own life, circumstances, foster homes, disappointments, no family, amen, but a pursuit of a calling of God. I appreciate what he's doing, and we should all be very, very thankful that he has approached these services with all sincerity, with all sincerity, and so I believe that God's going to continue to do things. We're on a journey here. We're on a journey. We're going somewhere, and I'm thankful for God's grace in his hand that is leading us. Praise God. We need to pray for the McCoys in Palmville. Let's lift them up in prayer. Sister Ruger would like us to.